Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. I'm here with Mark Crichton. He is the CEO of Avado, which is a professional learning and development organization. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Very much looking forward to it. Yes, thank you. So you and I go back uh, in, in less professional context, <laughs> shall we say. It's a very good way of putting it. <laughs> so yeah, we've known each other for a while, but you you came on to our um, first human who sponsors this podcast. You came on to one of our webinars and we were talking about, you know, what, what does leadership look like in this new context? And I thought some of the stuff that you shared was, uh, yeah, was really insightful, got me thinking. I thought, let's, yeah, let's get you on the show and go a bit deeper with some of those, some of those uh, themes. So for Avado, then let's just sort of set a bit of context about your role and what's changed in the in the landscape uh, for Avado over the last couple of months? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, I'm sure all of the people kind of listening around kind of businesses at the moment have said this has been a you know, completely shifted their view of kind of what they do and kind of what they do in their business. And certainly for me, if I look back at the start of 2020, I very much saw this as kind of doing a bit more of the kind of classical CEO work, you know, a lot more of the strategic side of things, thinking a little bit more about the business in the longer term. And I guess what the, the pandemic did straight away was it completely shortened that view. So the, the first thing was almost set all those things aside and really get on that kind of almost 30 day kind of cycle to start off with, which then pushed out a little bit more to sort of 90 days. So I would have said like coming into the year, very much thinking about kind of the long term future, where we're going to take the business and the pandemic completely kind of brought that into that kind of almost what's the next step along the road. I think the other interesting observation I'd have was also kind of almost seeing the pandemic as starting again. So the one thing I did as a CEO initially was, all right, okay, how am I going to get back to where I thought we would be at the start of the year, you know, whether it was the budget or whether it was kind of what we'd laid out with our investors and very quickly realized I can't do that. I actually almost have to start again from here. So draw a line, stop comparing back to kind of the start of what the year and what you hoped for and almost build a new plan. So what is that new plan going to look like in terms of kind of the business? What will be relevant to customers, employers, learners? And also kind of what is that going to mean for you financially as well? So um, it took me about sort of a week to realize that I wasn't going to be able to compare back anymore and then really kind of think, right, start again. And that, that actually is, has, I found it very freeing. I found it kind of released me to then go, right, okay, you create kind of a new framework for what this year is going to be about rather than the one you started with. Right. And so that was from a strategic planning perspective. It sounds like the cycle shorted right in. And I know um, our, in terms of your style as a leader, how did that shift? As how, how has that evolved over the period? I mean, the biggest difference is the communication. I mean, I, I, I thought I was quite a good communicator. I would do those kind of monthly stand-ups. You know, I'd send out kind of the, the fortnightly email celebrating the things that we'd done. I, I kind of did that. The pandemic has kind of got me thinking on a completely different level, you know, in terms of communication. So with my leadership group, we, we meet daily, you know, we have that kind of daily stand up. So in that kind of more of an agile working model. Is that um, something I, that you've just, you've adopted as a result? Of so we got lucky, actually. We started testing it in late November and we found it was a really, really positive way of working. We all were a lot more accountable to one another for what needed to get done we just had more visibility of the things that were important and we were more challenging in the conversation we were having as an executive group versus kind of doing just a weekly status meeting. And as it was, when we got into kind of this situation in March, it, it helped us to do things far faster. We almost were in this rhythm of doing it and we were able to kind of very quickly make decisions. I think the directness of the conversation we had with one another was really good. You know, even if we disagreed, we knew we could do that because over the previous months, we created this kind of way of working with this kind of daily cadence. So definitely that helped us. I think if we'd had to start that from sort of March and from when the pandemic kicked in, that would have been a lot harder. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I would I'm a champion and I have to say I was a bit un, unsure about it. The idea of meeting for half an hour every day, crikey, how are we going to fit that in? Is it really going to move things forward? And very quickly realized that it that it was. And also it was a model you could keep challenging. So you keep saying, is that really the priority? Have we really got the right things on that list that we're working on this week? Um, I found the retrospective. So the reflections at the end of each week really positive because it, it got people talking about how they felt about what we'd done. They were more expressive about when they were disappointed things hadn't happened. Good way to check in on where their mental well-being was. 
so I think definitely if we hadn't have sort of had that practice coming in the benefit we've then had through the pandemic wouldn't have come about either so I'm a real advocate for it takes a bit of structure you've kind of got to sort of stick with the stand-ups and all of that side of things but um yeah I mean I don't think we would have come through as well had we not had that and then on a more on a broader level you know this communication with the company so I, I do a weekly company update uh, every Wednesday morning at um, 9 30 it's half an hour I do an update and then I take uh, questions so I take questions over chat I take uh, and then I have someone who's producing that particular session so they literally come on and they ask me questions out loud and we've been really clear that whether you want to ask a question anonymously, you want to give your name, um, we are going to give you a response. So if I can't fit in the half an hour we've given there, we write written responses, we post them out on our kind of SharePoint internally so everybody can still see the answer. And we've made sure that we haven't avoided any of the questions because obviously there's been some really difficult ones through the pandemic. Um, and, you know, what I've been surprised about is I wouldn't have advocated that type of transparency going in you know we've we've been very transparent around numbers we try to give people an understanding of where the business is and therefore why we're taking the actions we're taking on a financial level but actually by giving that i think there's been more understanding and respect for the decisions that we've made doesn't mean everyone agrees with them and i i don't expect to come back to come back from it but it certainly has allowed people to understand where they're coming from um and it's meant the questions that we've had, I think, have been completely fair. And all they've asked for is, can you explain that a little bit more? Can we understand when, when, when that might happen? You know, and, and, and also being able to admit that you don't know. So I think, you know, this is where I would say I get a bit frustrated when I watch the television news and I hear leaders trying to say they know what's going to happen. Well, clearly we don't know what's going to happen. And therefore, if you don't know, you've got to say, I'm really sorry, I don't know. You know, I don't know whether the prime minister is going to, you know, take the lockdown away. I don't know whether or not um, sales within a certain part of our business are going to increase again because there is nothing for me to compare it to. All I can tell you is based on the insight we have right now, this is the action that we're going to take. So, you know, in that respect, I think those communications have been powerful and I won't, now I see that as a pattern. I see no reason for us to ever stop doing sort of those weekly updates, but also looking for other ways to communicate as well. So we're, we're definitely doing more working groups on specific topics and we're inviting more employees to be involved in those um, and saying rather than make decisions and formulate decisions from say I don't know top down we know therefore this is what we're going to do we're definitely saying right we're going to run some working groups on this we're going to get your feedback we're going to take those insights and that will be an input into formulating the plans for either for you as kind of colleagues or whether or not it's products we're developing the way that we're going to work those insights from you are going to be really valuable to where we go in the future. Yeah. And so that's, there's, there's tons in there that I'd love to dive into actually. But uh, one thing immediately springs to mind is this being, being less certain, right. And, and being open that you don't know. So it's interesting that your colleagues seem to have been responding positive, positively to that. How about the, how about the money men or the money women, right? The investors, have you been able to be as candid with them? I, I mean, they were actually the people that said, draw the line. So, okay. you know, I, I actually, my first reaction was, they're going to be the people that want me to get back to what I promised at the start of the year. And actually, they just immediately said, draw the line, start again, right? So give us a view of what you think the business can be now going forward. And we will understand if that changes, because that is going to change. So I was fortunate. You know, I know that not all investors are either that patient or that conciliatory in kind of giving, you know, saying that's the way we're going to do it. So by doing that, that really was very empowering because I could immediately say, right, okay, let's build bottom up based on what we can see. And then what we did, again, back on a communication level, we were having board calls every 72 hours for the first uh, three weeks. We then moved out to weekly and we've sort of slowly moved that back as we feel that we've got richer insight, better understanding financially, they feel they have less questions. Um, they've, you know, they've kind of got that confidence in the new sort of outlook that we have. So I would say that was, I was, I was fortunate, but we also made sure that we, the communication aspect was really frequent at the beginning because we knew that the information that we had had a level of volatility to it as, as everybody. And, you know, you, you talk to your customers, say, in that first week, and they're not sure where they are talk to them again the second week they're a little bit firmer so you've got to be able to factor that into what that then means for your business 
So you're giving that, you know, you're giving your investors that information all of the time. Um, so yeah, I still think communication was really important, but I was equally so fortunate to have an investor that kind of saw what was happening, was able to give me the advice early on kind of how they then wanted to structure what we we're going to do. Well, that's, yeah, that's interesting. Cause often when, when this, this theme of be, being more open with uncertainty or embracing uncertainty can work at certain levels of the organization, but it becomes a lot harder at the, at the top and more senior levels because there is that demand for certainty. And yet it seems like you've achieved some level. Yeah, of I know that's a two way street, isn't it? Cause I know, you know, equally so I've talked to people who have investors who literally just sort of said, no, nope, that's what you said you'd deliver, you know, find your way back, you know? And I think that for me, that doesn't kind of show an understanding that this is not a, it's not a recession in the way we've seen before. You can't go to a historic point in time and say, there's the model. This is how you come out of it. This is completely different because you have several different factors affecting why you're seeing uh, a business challenge. It's not just an economic one. It's not just a market one. You've got the, the you know, the societal impacts. Um, so you, you can't judge it or you can't frame it from one of those things that you may have modeled before. And I think, therefore, it would be unfair on anyone for an investor to say, well, just get yourself back there because, you know, go back to 2008, map it out off that and you'll figure it out because it's got too many different dynamics to it. So I think you, the only thing you can do then is, is kind of create your base scenario. And then as you get more information, as you get more insight, as your model begins to take on board information, you, you can begin to update it. And for us, for example, we've seen a completely uh, counter cyclical kind of experience during this sort of time period. So um, we have a particular part of our business, which is all direct selling to individuals. So it's learning programs delivered virtually. And around this time of year, it tends to be a quieter time of year for us. The kind of major focuses for that are January and September, start of the year, start of the academic year. That's in a completely uh, sort of reverse trend. People are, are definitely going out and securing learning for themselves right now, either because they're on furlough, they've got time to learn, um, they've uh, been made redundant, so they want to learn because they want to create uh, a bigger opportunity to be employable. Now, I couldn't have looked at anything in history that was going to tell me that was what was going to happen. So I had to judge it. We had to judge it week by week. So is this, a, is this going to last? And, you know, each week, is that, is that enough rich data that we can forecast a bit further forward? And do we need to create capacity in different parts of the business? Because this looks like it's going to keep going as a, a sort of counter trend. So there's nothing I could have looked at historically that would help me to have seen that. But then you have to live with that information build as much insight as you can and then figure out whether or not you can, how long it's going to last for. So now I, I think it's harder when people are saying, Oh, well you can model that off history because clearly, you know, that isn't, I don't think that's what we've seen. I don't think a lot of sectors have seen any sort of model. They could have sort of drenched up and said, right, okay, we'll use that one. Mm, yeah. That makes sense. The other thing that you talked about, which is very interesting to me is that you've taken some of these practices that software teams have been using for like a decade or more and you know, these, these agile practices and we've had a lot of agile you know, experts on this show and you're using it with with the management team right and that is still you know right now relatively novel for management yeah. teams to be applying these some of these practices so yeah tell us a little bit about how that came about and then maybe a little bit of the mechanics of running those daily stand-ups mm -hmm. and the retrospective and how they might be different for a management team versus say a software team. Okay. Okay, so I'm gonna. I, I'm. I'm not a software person, so I'm, I'm not for a second going to suggest that it was me. You're not going to be surprised to hear it was actually our chief technology officer, who had been running this within his technology team, who's come came came to the executive and said, "I think I think this would be valuable." And and we definitely had strong feedback from from that team and some other teams that had tested it that was really working. So he very much brought the model and piloted it within the exec. He was very much kind of the person that kind of kept us on the discipline, told us what we could and couldn't do, told us off when we didn't do what we should have done. Um, and that was kind of how it was kind of brought forward. Um, and, and so what are those just that, what are those norms then that, you know, that maybe you had a bit of getting used to? So, so obviously you don't, when you do your stand up in the morning, if you've got a task, you only talk about the task. You don't discuss anything else till you finish talking about the task you need to do. That's every, any other business. And of course, leaders always are, want to talk about things. Let's, let's debate that. No. We haven't got through the stand-up yet. When we're through the stand-up, there's an AOB section which we can talk about stuff. So that kind of thing of being cut off with someone saying, no, that, that is beyond the task we're talking about. 
we're going to do the next task. We'll go through the tasks first and then we'll do kind of any other business. So the discipline really of using that half an hour in the right way, which is let's check where everybody is with the things that need to get done this week. Let's see whether or not anyone has any barriers to kind of getting those things done, need support from the rest of the team. Uh, any reason why we don't think they're going to get done by the end of the week. So that that discipline and kind of just sticking to that rather than it turns into a bit of a free-for-all kind of a you know classic status meeting. I think that's that's one bit of discipline to get around. And who's and who's enforcing that discipline? I sort of think we 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 all are. You know, okay. we, we, yeah. Because we have we have a we use Asana as a project management tool. That's where the list of tasks is. We're updating those every single day. We're adding an AOB that relates to the subjects individually as we all kind of input into that tool. So it, it is very kind of self-regulating, really. I wouldn't have said that any of us are an, an, an enforcer. And as it's gone along, we've been a lot more kind of self-managing. kind of managing. We know when, hang on a second, sorry, I've just dipped into something else. So you become a bit more kind of self-aware, I guess, of what you're doing. Um, and then the retrospective sort of very much is a review of the tasks that we had for that week. What have we completed? What do we think we've learned from what we have and haven't completed? Were we taking on too much? Have we got the right priorities? You know, when we look at the big things in the business, are the things on this list the things that we think are the big things to tackle? And we've also been really careful not to put things on that list that are kind of our individual tasks. So it's not a task list for every member of the executive it is the task that we're collaborating on together that we think we collectively need to come together to make decisions on and, and kind of agree so um that that definitely kind of is, is the way that we run it but, but i like what i like from the retrospective is we talk about how we feel about it and we talk about you know do we feel this has been a good week and why does it feel like that and you know i i think opening up and talking a little bit more about when you don't feel it's gone well it is not weakness, but it's kind of saying either I could have done with more support or maybe I took on too much. And therefore the watch out is that we don't do that again next week. Or there's this big thing that I've got to do on my own that I didn't realize was going to take so much time. And therefore, again, I didn't put that in the context of everything else that needed to be done as, a, as an executive group. So I, I find that kind of feedback, both, I guess, as the CEO, really important, really valuable. But also we're able to then help one another to say, well, maybe take less next week or um, hang on a second, you know, maybe we should have talked about that in one of the standups because clearly, you know, that was going to be a challenge for you and we could have helped. So again, it, it, it creates a more open conversation and it, you know, I, I do think particularly during the pandemic, people have to talk about how they feel. So then you can take some time to talk about that. Okay. So why do you feel anxious about that? Well, I just feel like I, I can't get it done. Okay. Why is that different? because you're you know, working remotely versus if we were in the office. Let's figure that out together. And I, I think you can't, I would say, being more aware and actually being a bit more deliberate about being aware of those things for everybody that's working for you, not just kind of your immediate team, but across your organization. That's really important. You've got to keep asking the question, are you okay? You know, is everything going okay? Okay. Or being a little bit more present on kind of things like Zoom calls and Teams calls as why is that person not talking at the moment? Are they okay? Is, is, do they like what we're saying? Are they worried about what we're saying? Maybe I check in with them afterwards and make sure everything's okay because they're a bit quiet. So you, I think in all of this, you, the opportunity to check in with people and say to them, it's okay to tell us if things aren't working or you're feeling like you didn't get something done or you're a bit worried about stuff because I think that makes it more sustainable. And you know, I'm, I'm very conscious that this kind of crisis is something that's gone on for a long time. It's not something that was like a couple of weeks and then we're back to normal. This is both ongoing and may on, you know, go on for a long time. And it may be that it goes backwards before it goes forwards. So you've got to kind of keep those levels of communication and conversation up to make sure that everyone's okay. You know, and I've got one, one particular thing at the moment, which is I'm trying to encourage everyone to take holidays. Okay, because everyone's waiting. Go, well, I want to go on a proper holiday. Go, but maybe you need a break now just to recharge, just to kind of shut the laptop and walk away from it. I appreciate you can't maybe go on that holiday you wanted to to Spain or Italy or wherever it might be, but you do need a break. We all need a break. We all need to take time just to kind of step back from it all. So really trying to say to people, take some holiday, you know, now or over the course of the next couple of months, because you probably haven't taken one since, say, February, in some instances since Christmas. Um, and all those things, I think, are things you need to be more aware about, repeat, reinforce, because people get in a pattern 
and this is a pattern that sort of is a going on a bit longer than any kind of business continuity or type of crisis situation that I've ever seen before. Right. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I can certainly relate to the holiday point. I'm not sure. I, yeah. I've definitely postponed a holiday. Probably. I'm probably overdue one. And the, uh, this, this retrospective. So do you think the fact that you were opening up in more in the retrospectives and was, again, was this your CTO saying, you know, adding some sort of questions into this format for the retrospective that, um, I mean, we, we stru- it's structured, so we all individually have time to feedback about how we feel our week has right. gone. And that's a, you know, it's a round table and everyone says something. So it's not one of those things where who wants to talk, who doesn't want to talk. Everyone is asked to say something and contribute something in a, in again, in a, in a time frame. So, you know, we don't go on for two hours. It's we, we give half an hour to that part of the, the retrospective. So um, I think it's just sort of, again, I, maybe I'm forgetting how it was at the beginning. I'm sure it was stilted at the beginning because I'm sure it was a bit sort of, you know, what do they want me to say? Everything's fine. Um, but I certainly would say, you know, the retrospectives we've been having over the last sort of eight to 12 weeks have definitely been kind of very honest, very open. And people are really sharing about where they are relative to kind of the work that we've been doing and challenging as well, you know, and I, 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 I really value that. I really value the challenge because because it is a it's quite a fluid situation it's been kind of lots of information kind of suddenly becoming available and us using that so um i guess the mindset is also that that you're open to that and you accept that we aren't getting everything right nor should we be getting everything right because it's not that type of environment and and cutting ourselves a bit more slack on that so okay well we, we can only learn from it you know we can't change it we can't go back but i think the kind of sense of we're going to be perfect or we're going to get close to but you know be, be realistic about what this situation means you can do which we should have been more realistic anyway but i think this kind of pandemic brings it into sharper focus yeah and so do you think that that more kind of more open conversation in these retrospectives then spilled out into your style you know more generally um or do you think you always have that kind of attunement to what people are feeling and you know concern there I think it's something in my in my say leadership that I've I've always wanted, but I've never been consistent in. So I've always felt that if I were if I was a lot more present with people and I was listening and I was asking more open questions and I was looking for some of those signs about where they were as people, as much as kind of the role that they were playing in the organisation, that I would be a better leader and I would be more responsive to what they might need from the organisation or for me as a manager, or for me as a leader. What I know is it's the, maintaining the consistency of that and staying present for anybody is, is, is challenging. And, and it's tiring because you're giving quite a lot, both emotionally and mentally, when you're trying to say that switched on to how everybody else feels. So I know that in the past, you know, sometimes I've kind of come away from it to go, well, I'll just get it, I'll just get it done. You know, you kind of get into that more task-orientated mindset of, okay, well, maybe it's just some things you just need to get done here. And you switch off a little bit, that kind of the emotional radar to sort of go, just need to get some work done here. And also probably, you know, if I'm honest, to insulate yourself a little bit because you go, you know, taking on people's feelings in itself means that you carry their feelings around with you, which means it affects you. And I think anybody who suggests it doesn't is crazy. So mm-hmm. what you do is you kind of go, well, I can take it for a bit, but then I'm going to have to shut down for a bit and I'm going to need to work on some of the stuff because I can't carry all of this. So I think in, in that respect, as a leader, you, 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 this situation demands you being more open. But what I'm not going to pretend is that every waking moment, I am as receptive as I could be. And it is a bit of kind of practicing that and making sure that you're present in the right moments and that you are kind of almost consciously going, right, okay, how is everyone feeling? How is everyone doing? Because I've certainly realized that because you're not with people physically, you don't see that as much. You don't kind of see the body language that tells you, oh, hang on a second. You don't seem to agree with what we said here, or you seem a little bit distracted, or, you know, you seem really keen on this idea. And you don't get that feedback as much, I think, through through the way that we're working. So you need to check in. You need to be a little bit more deliberate. But even then, it you know, you don't want to call people out in front of the rest of the group. So you sort of then think, well, I'll pull away. I'll then go and call them separately. I'll check in with them, make sure that they're okay, and, you know, do it that way. Um, and you just don't always get that right. 
you know, sometimes your judgment's wrong and you go, they go, there's nothing wrong with me. There's, there's no problem. There's no issue. Like, okay, maybe I, maybe I was overreading. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think as a leader, it's definitely something I aspire to. I, I do think I've always felt that good leaders are show a level of vulnerability. They try and show their humanity. Um, it doesn't mean that they don't make tough decisions. And I think that leaders do have to do that. They have to be able to separate those things. But I think right now, you know, people want to see a diversity in people's leadership styles. They want to see more humanity. They want, they want more connection. And they do want to see vulnerability. They, they, they don't, if, if you're standing there saying that you've got this and you absolutely know exactly what's going to happen, you, you can't be believable. But, you know, no human being, no, no one, no colleague of mine to give me go, Mark's got all the answers because I shouldn't have uh, and nor could I. So, um, but yeah, I, th- I think this de- I've always felt there was something about leaders acknowledging their vulnerability, talking about it openly to the people that work for them can be a very, very powerful way of getting them to talk openly back to you. Mm. Yeah, that's, uh, it's fascinating that this, this situation has, I guess, got, had you reflect on that to a greater degree um, than, than you may have done otherwise. Um, so hardest moments so far for you through this and what have you learned from it? So um, we were in a situation where we had to undertake a consultation uh, around our business in April. Um, we looked at the business dynamics that we had to face in the rest of the year and we couldn't see how some of the models that the government had made available were actually going to help us to, to kind of carry that through. Um, and we could see some of our products weren't going to maybe achieve what they needed to. So we went into a consultation relatively early, I think, versus some of what we're seeing kind of more broadly happening now. So first thing is that that is always horrible. And uh, I think it was particularly horrible because, you know, you knew that the people that were affected were going to go into a market where opportunities were going to be were very difficult. So, um, but very much for us, a last resort, having looked at kind of all the other ways that we could kind of realign our costs with what we're doing as a business. I think the thing I learned from it was just the important, the importance of understanding it as a consultation and really listening to what people are saying as possible solutions coming in the other direction. I think sometimes when people talk about those difficult situations, they kind of almost work through them as a process and say, we just have to do this this way. We know, what, we know where we are and we know what kind of the, the end point's going to be. But if you use the consultation process, I think in the way that, it, that it's supposed to be used, you take a huge amount of feedback from the people that are involved. Obviously, they're all represented by kind of um, their colleagues. And we came up with a series of ideas or they came up with a series of ideas to us about how we could mitigate, say, the, the losses of roles. So a lot of people came back and said, we're very happy to do job shares. Actually, I was thinking about going part time. If I went part time, would that allow you to keep somebody else in work? Um, Here's some things that we've been thinking about as a team that we think can make us more cost efficient. And all of those bits of feedback meant that from going into that process, uh, we 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 uh, made 50% people less, uh, 50% less of people redundant than we thought we'd have to, because all of those suggestions and measures allowed us to get to what we needed to do, which was obviously to, to save costs, to keep you know the business viable going forward. So I guess that would be my, my learning from it was, I think sometimes we see things like consultation process, they are very emotional, they are, they are very difficult, they're very challenging, you know, communication was really critical throughout, we answered all the questions, however tough they were, um, as you would understand, they were coming from those individuals' point of view as well, which means that they were emotional questions, they had their families, you know, and people they had to look after. But by listening to the ideas that came back, I think we were able to do, we were able to mitigate some of the things that we originally thought we might have to do, which is a great credit to kind of all of the employee representatives that we had doing that process. But it just shows you the power of actually listening to what might the options be. And I think as I move forward, I, I kind of look at that and go, well, it's got me thinking differently about things like job sharing. It's got me thinking differently about kind of what do people mean by more kind of gig related roles and kind of what they might want. So I might want to have two to three roles in the future. Can you as an employer, can you handle that? Can you respond to that? I'm a great talent, but I'm not going to give you all of my time. And we've got to start making these judgments, I think, about, well, do we need 
someone's talent full time? Or actually, are we comfortable with the idea that we have it for a couple of days a week? Or because that actually might be a fantastic outcome. They might deliver something in those two days that are just is mind blowing. But we're only going to get that if we can be open minded to that opportunity. If, if we're not, then that talent isn't going to work for us. So I do think there are things that come out of this. And I think that the one thing people move to is, oh, well, people need a job. And I go, I don't think they do. I think this will have changed people's perceptions of what they want from their working lives. So as employers, we're going to have to respond to the fact that maybe they don't want a full-time job. Maybe what they want from us is the opportunity to work for a period of time or at different times of the day. And if we're not responsive to that, then we won't be able to access that talent. So, you know, I, I, I try and look at it a different way, I think, which is that, you know, I think there is an, a level of empowerment here for people that want to have a different lifestyle alongside their work. And, um, you know, employers, progressive employers are going to have to be a lot more responsive to that. Wow. And that came out, for, it obviously came out as a strong theme in the consultation that. I think it, I think it, it's, it said to me something about how people are thinking about their working lives. And I, you know, I, one of the things I think about this pandemic is, and I, I'm sure time will tell whether or not it has a permanency or not. But I think people are reflecting on well, what do they want from their work and their life? How are those two things going to work together? And how do they, how will they feel more empowered in that? Rather than I have to work, I have to work in a particular way. Um, and I have to sacrifice other things that I really care about for that to kind of, for that to work. I think people are going to be less willing to compromise and I think they're going to look to employers to kind of respond in those other areas of their life that are important to them so that the, the work-life blend that they achieve it is more for them. Um, and, and it's not, I think some people would say, well, that's fine if you're sort of, you're financially secure. But actually, I think it is a way of making yourself financially more secure because in effect what you do is you spread out your risk you start thinking about you know how the how you want to work in different ways how you take employment from different points if you want to try your own thing start your own business that that becomes part of kind of the working week that you have and how you do it is a little bit of a reflection of how you want to do it and and obviously remote working makes all of those things a lot more viable so yeah I, I think it was a reflection on that process but it was also a little bit around I think the pandemic was, it's not just now economic impact, it has the societal impact, it has the environmental impact. Now, these will be things that you're talking about on other podcasts, but I do think it's something where the individual, if they can see this a particular way and in a long-term setting, will probably find it very empowering. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that that's probably right in broad strokes, but I guess there are equally some people are just like, damn, I've lost my job. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it sucks. But I, I, I do, I, I agree with that. And I think what's interesting is because it's hit everybody at the same time. I mean, there's been several people I've spoken to have said, well, my boss now uh, work, has been forced to work from home, hated anybody working from home, yeah. but now has seen for themselves how productive they could be. They've yeah. got a much better life. They don't want to go back to working five days in the office. So I think the fact that it's, it's hit the whole, whole hierarchy all at once is yeah. also going to be uh, particularly impactful. And, and, it, and it's shifted across kind of the period of pandemic because I would have definitely said that more sort of traditional kind of working pattern, those types of people were staying in that for, we're going back soon. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. So we'll get this back to where it was. And, you know, and over time, they have seen the benefits that you're talking about and they have become advocates for it. And they've recognized all those things, those misnomers they were worried about, like accountability. We won't be as productive. We won't get the outcomes from the business. They're gone, well, actually, we are getting all of those outcomes. Those things are all working. People feel like they've got more time because they're not commuting or they're not having to travel. So almost the length that it's gone on for has allowed some of those things that probably people very much said, you know, this is the way I work and I don't want to change. They've evolved as they realized some of the gates or the barriers that they sort of perceived would be the problem of working remotely have kind of been taken away because the evidence says, well, actually, none of those bad things that you were worried about actually happen. And also you're enjoying it because you feel like it's empowering you and you feel like you've got a better working sort of life. So it, in a way, the time it's gone on, I think, has really helped people to reconsider those things that they'd always previously believed. Yeah. Yeah. Now, tell us about your offices, because this came up on our webinar and, it, yeah. and uh, I thought you made some, uh, some, some great 
comments about this. So yeah, so what's happened with your offices and what have you you seen as a result of it? So we um, we obviously having come out of the office, we were in a position where actually we had a, a lease on our, our London office coming up in September and there was kind of a recognition that we weren't going to go back. So what we decided we would do is we would survey our, our teams uh, actually across the UK. So we've got teams in the UK, we've got some teams in APAC as well. Um, we'd survey our team across the UK and we'd ask them what they want in the short and long term. So, you know, if it's about the immediate the end of this year, how do you feel about going back to work as in confidence, security, worries about traveling, et cetera, but also questions about what if this was the way that we worked? So what if we said we were going to work in this way for a longer period of time? How would you feel about that? And it was an overwhelming response that said on both the short and the long term, look, we definitely don't see ourselves working uh, in an office five days a week. And actually a large majority, sort of well over, say, 80 percent saying, I actually think I'll only work in an office a few times a week. And here's the things that I'll do in that office. And it was more around meeting colleagues, collaborating, um, thinking about how you develop new products, being creative. It wasn't about things like working on my own, having a desk, that, that kind of sense of, you know, definitely a desire for a sense of community, definitely a sire of wanting to maintain the culture, but not. I need to come into an office every day and I need to work in that way anymore. So um, as a consequence of that, we started to look at, okay, could we see any customer challenges that we needed to address? We couldn't. Uh, could we see any other um, kind of challenges that came from our partners? No, because we'd still be able to meet them. We could still, there were still models that we could use for that. So what we started to do now is we said we won't go back into an office uh, this year. So we won't or let our lease kind of um, go. And we'll look for a different type of space going into next year that fulfills some of the things that people sort of want to do occasionally through their, their week. But it's not going to be back to a desk-based environment. That, that isn't what we're going to create. So we think we can create a hub for the business in, in London, which is where our, that office was going to kind of, um, where our main office is. And that was going to enable kind of these practices of meeting, collaborating, developing ideas together, um, having somewhere where you could drop in, maybe if you were between meetings across kind of the city. Um, but that would be the purpose of it. And it would probably be, you know, I think we're looking at the fact that it will be a third of the size of the office space that we had before. So we're doing two things now. First thing we've said is that um, we need to understand what people need to work more effectively remotely. So we're asking people what are their individual needs about the things that they will require at home, uh, whether that's kind of technology, whether or not it's connectivity, uh, whether it's kind of things like physical desks and chairs, what, are they, what do they need? And therefore, we can begin to invest in that. We're also asking questions about what do they need almost on, a, on an emotional level and the way that they connect with people. So, you know, what does the company need to do in terms of how often we physically meet? You know, so are we meeting, say, every couple of months for strategy sessions, company sort of community days, um, social events? What are the things that then need to formulate kind of a new sort of spine for our culture? Because our culture is really important to us. We know that physically being together would have been one of the manifestations of that. We need to make sure that we fulfill that in kind of this new, this new model. And the second, so the, the last part of that is we've talked about it being a pilot. So we said, look, we can make this decision now and then we can keep asking you whether it's working for you on an ongoing basis. So if we find ourselves a year from now and actually people are going, it's a bit different to when we were in that pandemic and sun isn't shining because it's the middle of winter and therefore I'm maybe not getting out and getting to do the things at home that I was and actually I'm missing human contact and I want to spend time we can look at it and if we need to go and get more office space then we can factor that in so what we're not doing is we're not going this is it final we're never having an office again we're acknowledging what people have fed back we've acknowledged kind of that that's some of that short term but some of it is actually what they would like from working for us in in the long term um, and it's also then saying, well, it can be a pilot so we can keep surveying you because your attitudes might change over time, you know, and it, it will change because of this kind of re relaxation of social distancing. But it will also change when you get a feel for what this means for you as a human being and, and kind of how you interact with your colleagues. So it's a bracing uncertainty again, right? It's the same, yeah. That's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then the final part I'd say is for those people that said, I, I can't work at home, you know, I, I just can't be done. We are looking at how this office space that we've created or, or will create kind of from January next year still accommodates that. Because what we don't want to do is we don't want people's well-being, mental and physical, to be detrimentally affected by kind of 
piloting this remote model. So again, you know, trying to be as responsive to those individual needs as we can be, um, because that's really important as well. I, you know, I think the idea that you sort of say, right, the majority have said we're doing this, which great, that, that works for them. But we don't want to alienate those people that, that said they, they don't want this or there's a reason why they can't work, you know, can't work from home. And, you know, we've got means by which we can address that without necessarily having, you know, large kind of footplates of space within within London. So, yeah, I mean, I'd say we've made our decision in the sense of what, what we see the next sort of 18 months looking like, but not closing the door on the idea that people's opinions will change. And therefore, we need to be able to respond to that by continuing to ask for their feedback. Yeah, no, I, that's uh, so. So a lot more prodigious use of um, surge, surveying. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, we we followed up now to talk about individual needs because we realise that you've got you know you've got your macro numbers around kind of what people are saying they want, but you then need to sort of try and break it down as much as possible into those individual instances. And I think one of the things we're also thinking about is well, how do you fulfill things like performance management. So if I'm not with my colleagues every day, you know, the importance of my line manager one-to-ones, the way my outcomes are set, the way my outcomes are measured, uh, when am I going to be able to give feedback on those things? I think they evolve when you're in a remote setting and you need to recognize that that's going to be a big part of supporting the business when it's remote. It's not all just about is everyone, you've got the physical equipment that they need to do their job to be productive. It's also what about all of the kind of processes and protocols you had? Do they translate? Do they move across? Or do you need to evolve them? Because if you don't evolve them, then you're not really responding to your colleagues. You're not, you're not sort of saying to them, well, of course it's different. Of course it's not the same. Um, so, you know, and are there aspects of that where you go, no, that still feels like that needs to be physical. So therefore, where would we conduct that? How would we conduct that? How would that still be a really good experience for both kind of managers and kind of the teams that work for them? Um, so really thinking about all of those different aspects rather than maybe kind of what you think about when you're putting these temporary measures in place for, for a situation like the pandemic. Mm, yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, now, the other thing that uh, you didn't mention, actually, but made me smile on the on the webinar earlier was that you worked in previously creative agencies, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and you were telling me how you used to desperate to get people out of the four walls and yeah. this yeah, pandemic. So, so it was... I mean, I worked in, in media and advertising for 20 years before I came to Avado. And we always used to have this conversation about creativity. And obviously, creativity is one of those very subjective things. But, you, you know, creative people will talk about, well, you know, sitting me in, a, in an office, in a, in a boardroom, in a meeting room and asking me to create things is terrible. You know, and we would actively say, well, don't you don't have to you know, go anywhere you want to in London. You know, go to a museum, go to an art gallery, go to wherever you feel inspira- inspired because you're being judged on the ideas. You're not being judged on where you sit and how you do it, because actually the idea is the thing that certainly the client wants and that can happen anywhere, you know, and we know, it. but it was really hard. You know, I never remember sort of ever thinking, Oh, I can see rafts of teams going off uh, to do their creative processes in Regent's park where our offices were based Going for a walk, you know, a walking meeting, didn't see it. Go and sit in the park because people felt that I'm being judged. Like if I'm not there, I'm being judged. Someone will be saying, well, where's X? And that the permissions, for all that we might say the permissions were clear, it wasn't really, re- that wasn't real. It wasn't true. No, you, you haven't given me that. And the minute someone sort of called someone out for it, the whole thing fell apart anyway. Because the minute someone said, well, where have you been, you part-timer? Been away all afternoon. Well, immediately the other 20 people in that creative environment would go, well, I'm not risking that. I'm not going out. I'll, I'll make sure I'm at my desk every day. So it never, it never kind of materialized, even though we all knew it was the right thing. And I think what's been brilliant about this, particularly as kind of the social distancing measures have relaxed, is I hear a lot more people saying, oh, I'm meeting X in the park for a walk. We're going to talk about this particular issue. Or the team's getting together and we thought it'd just be nice if we could all kind of socially distance, just chat about, even if it's a status update, we're going to have one a month where we physically sit in a park while the weather's nice and we're going to do it that way. And it's happening not because we're trying to force it to happen. It's happening because it's, it's almost an, an alternative, but people feel confident that they have permission to do that. They feel that that's, now the knock-on benefit is that I would hope that innovation, the ability to think about new ideas, enhancing what we already do, grows as a consequence of people feeling that freedom, sensing that you're empowered to do that. That's what we want from you. And that isn't time wasted. That's, that's valuable time. And that time is a combination of two things. It's 
a great idea could come out of it. But also you're going for a walk, which is a brilliant thing to be doing right now when you could otherwise be sat in front of a, a camera screen for, you know, eight, mm. 10 hours a day. So I think in order that this is sustainable, you know, and you're going to commit to a remote working environment, you've got to then be saying, well, there's, there's got to almost be those different settings where people can do different types of thinking because they're not going to do it sort of sat here in front of a camera screen, just as they weren't going to do it in a boardroom or a meeting room. So I think that, you know, I'm hoping that one of the benefits is that in innovation and creativity, people who were struggling with the permission that they had, that's gone. You know, that permission side of it, it, it you know, is someone watching me, that presenteeism that I heard people talk about, that, that is going to get pushed to one side and we can genuinely have this kind of more outcome-based kind of approach where people go, it doesn't matter how you got there, but what you've, what you've got to is brilliant. And that's, that's kind of where, you know, I think ideas sometimes people just want to make it really systematic show me what you did show me the workings out and in my experience it's never it's never that linear it's never that straightforward so encouraging working in these different environments tends to be the spark and the catalyst yeah and i'm i'm hopeful for that as as well and i think this this definitely gives people the opportunity to say okay i'm going to take take the leap here and yet on the flip side you also see this surge in demand for sort of spyware on employees computers you know to the yeah. point they're, they're measuring keystrokes you know and which is just mad you know it's, it's you've got the, uh, yeah it seems and, to... and it, i mean this is where i think you've got to got to determine what behavior you want you know and i and i think the one thing that comes out of this this period is like agility adaptability flexibility well you're going to lose all those things if what you're doing is trying to police when people are working you know my my, my experience is that um you know, I've not seen productivity drop. I've not seen people pulling the wool. I've not seen that happen. In fact, I've seen the opposite. I've seen people working harder. I've seen people giving more. Uh, I've seen people looking out for their colleagues more often and making time to socialize with, with them outside of work on a Zoom call, in a Zoom party, whatever it might be. So you sort of go, why, why then, having seen those, if you were observing those behaviors, why would you want to put spyware on, on someone's, you know, what, what, what do you, do you not, tr- I mean, that lack of trust for me is just, I, I just don't understand it because I haven't seen anyone demonstrate to me in my company that, that, that that's the way that people see this or the, the way that people are approaching this or, you know, so I, I think, yeah, I mean, the, the opportunity here is to, to drive more empowerment, more trust, more belief in people and see what the outcome of that is. If what we're going to do is we're just going to make it, you know, that we're going to get back to the kind of presenteeism bit, which is I, I clock on and I clock off. And I always hated that behavior. Never felt like something that was going to create a progressive organization. I, I, I mean, this was the opportunity to break that. So it is, it is worrying to hear that that's the way that some organizations are going. Mm. Great. Well, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, really enjoyed the conversation is there anything you thought i might have asked you i didn't ask you anything we haven't touched i don't know i thought you're going to ask it i think the recovery like i hear this word recovery being used a lot and i kind of wonder if there's a a bigger opportunity because the way when it's said it's very much the the sense of business and the economy you know how does how do the numbers get back to normal i do think i would hope that the recovery considers kind of some of the other things that we've seen happen in society you know, um, how communities have looked after one another and what that means and can that be sustained? Um, you know, the understanding of some of the amazing institutions that we have and what they achieve. Positive impact on the environment of not having planes in the sky and cars on the road. And okay, what can you learn from that? It doesn't necessarily mean that elements of it aren't going to come back, but you're cognizant of the positive impact that it has. So I, I guess if I had, I don't think it's asking you to ask me a question, but I do think if we could think about recovery as businesses more holistically and all the benefits it has, I think it does a couple of things. I think it, it, it makes for a, a more progressive society overall, but I reckon there's loads of ideas in that as well. I think, you know, the more you look at people's behavior through the pandemic, the more that you see opportunity and ideas about what they want, might want from businesses and services, but also how they might want to behave differently as they go forward in society. And how almost do you respond to that? And, and almost how can you be uh, definitely an instrument of change in, in what they want to do? So I think this, this recovery, as I say, I, I, I sort of when it's talked about, really talked about in a very kind of narrow sense. 
But if it could be thought about in a broader sense, and I think businesses need to do that as well, um, it could lead to some really positive kind of permanent change. And, um, you know, as someone who has children, I kind of look at that and go, okay, there's a real opportunity here. We've got to grasp it rather than kind of retrench to where we were before. That's a brilliant point, actually. Yeah. And I, I hadn't considered that, that this isn't, yeah, we only hear it. We only really think about it in terms of employment numbers and of which, of course, it's important yeah, um, and GDP. But yes, this uh, a broader definition of what, yeah, a recovered. Yeah, even the term. That, I mean, that's fascinating, isn't it? You know, recovery from what? From, yeah. you know, soul destroying work <laughs> environments, um, brutal commutes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just to some other angles to consider recovery from. Um, yeah, that's a great point. Okay. Thank you, Mark. It's been a wonderful conversation. Uh, really appreciate you making the time. Uh, so for, again, for people, it's Evado, uh, is, is the company which you lead, uh, leading, uh, so professional development, um, professional development. And you said something else at the start of this. <laughs> so, yeah. It does. But- so if I do, I mean, we are doing professional learning and development and we may learning and development, development yeah. And mainly in sort of things like um, the role that data and technology is playing in businesses. And that's kind of one of our big focuses. So we're, we're looking at how people use technology in their roles and not just those people that are specialists in technology as well. Often they are people that are working alongside those kind of very tech savvy people. But we're looking to give them confidence that actually all the work that's being done with things like data um, is something that actually, if they learn about it, that makes the organization um, more productive as well. So um, a lot of our engagements with with companies really think about that transformation they want to go through as a consequence of technology. Right. And they can come to you for development programs and training Absolutely. and all the rest of it. So check out, is it, and it's Avado. Avadolearning.com. 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 Check out all the courses uh, and programs there. Once again, Mark, thank you. Thank you. Uh, It's been a great conversation. Thank you. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.